0: This is A Smaller Life, a podcast about making more conscious and more ethical choices within our crafts, hosted by me, Saskia de Feiter. I'm a small business owner who wants to grow by going smaller. Together with local makers, I make tools, yarns, and accessories for knitters that want to buy less, buy better, make more, and make it last, keeping away the overwhelm and all the ridiculousness of overconsuming within our crafts. In the podcast, I endeavor to answer the question we ask ourselves before we start a project. What do we buy? Where do we buy? Who do we buy from? Or don't we buy at all? But use what we already have. Because when you think about what you do, you take more time and end up with less of everything. As a result, you'll get a smaller life. Hi. So good that you're here. Welcome to A Smaller Life. If you're new, I wish you a happy episode. Is that a thing you do wishing people happy episodes? Well, it is what I do. And if you're a regular listener, I'm so glad that you came back. This time we're talking to Vitika Opmeer. She is a Dutch artist, an all-around artist basically, f- focusing on what she finds and needs. Around her in nature. She makes her work mindful and with respect for nature. She was very popular with her wood carvings. And in this conversation, we talk about why she stopped making them and her philosophy behind that. We also talk about her conscious lifestyle and her newly built house that has hemp wall panels. Oh my gosh. She's an amazing illustrator and a wonderful teacher and I'll be forever sad that we didn't get to do our workshops in our city forest, but you never know what will be in the future. So please take your knitting or a nice cup of something and listen to Vitika. Hello, Vitika. Hi. Hi. Nice to have
1: you on the podcast. I'm very happy that you asked me to be on your podcast. So
0: Oh, yeah. you should have been like in the in the top 3 interviews because you're you will have so many interesting things to say about all the topics we love.
1: Wow. But you Thank were you. busy and
0: I was busy and there are houses in our lives, houses being built. And there was lots going on, and I really had to practice first before we could have this interview so I could have the right
1: questions. It was all leading up to this moment.
0: Yes, this is the moment. This is the moment.
1: I'm loving it already. Yes. So, can you start by saying where
0: you are at the moment?
1: Okay. um, I am in my barn on my piece of land where our house is being built next to it. So I'm sitting here next to a wood-burning stove, which is currently not burning. Uh, so it's a little bit uh, cold, but um, I'm a tough woman. I can handle <laughs> <it>. <laughs> So yeah. Are you wearing wool? Uh, yeah, lots of it, yes. yeah, uh, Knit socks, wool knit and socks, not by me. I've made them, but... Um, I'm not wearing them right now. I have a wool vest on and a wool sweater. So uh, yes, lots of. I food. think it's
0: about. It should be about five degrees outside.
1: That inside it's about nine degrees here, but I'm used to it. So.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you're probably used to it, and you're gonna wait until you get really cold before you heat up the stove. Or...
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Sometimes when we really are like lazy, then we start by putting on the wood burner straight away. And when we started living here, we moved from an apartment in the city of The Hague towards uh, our barn, which is only heated by one wood-burning stove. And uh, the first night that we slept here, <laughs> we we got up in the morning, and it was 9 degrees, just like it is now. And we were so incredibly cold. We We felt like we were in the Arctic or something. So we... <laughs> We got dressed and we put on our robes on top of it and wore a woolen hat. And (laughs) I I can't imagine it right now because when we've been living here for two and a half years now in our barn. So we had like two winters already. So and uh, then you just it's a different feeling because you get used to things. You can really get used to things like nine degrees. So, yeah.
0: So it's really funny because... um, I do not I I don't function well in heat. Um and people always say, well it's just what you're used to. And I always think, no no no, I'm always going to be melting. There's nothing going to be different about it. But I do think that when it comes to heat, I kind of understand that you just move slower, you you change your uh the way, well basically the way you live, the way you move, perhaps the way you eat even. And it's probably the same when it comes to cold. You dress in wool, you have more tea.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, and it's also one of the big lessons I've learned in the past two and a half years, and uh, our house built hasn't been easy, is that uh, I read a quote somewhere that someone said, well, life isn't supposed to be easy. It isn't designed to be easy. And if you realize it, then it becomes more easy. So Hmm. once I read that quote and I thought like yeah well actually it it does have a point when you just start realizing the birds are outside and they are cold yes they are cold we have chickens they don't like the cold either but they they live their life and they accept that it isn't always going to be 20 degrees exactly and when you accept that then yeah things become easier for for some reason yeah wow
0: so did do your chickens do anything to do they huddle up together or
1: yeah, yeah, start running they all have their own characters. We have uh Swartje, which means blackie, and uh she lays green eggs, which is very special it's really beautiful and, uh, all of green eggs and um we have uh Willem, our rooster, and he protects his ladies, but he also has like <laughs> He has, like, how do you call that in English?
0: Oh, um, he, well, he's grumpy in the morning. Uh, there's there's a word, I don't know. Alison, the editor, she can, like, overdub words that we don't know in English.
1: Ah. Hi, yes, Saskia. Alison here. Um, The Dutch word, ochtendhumor, literally means morning mood. And we don't really have an exact English equivalent for that, except maybe... He got up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. But I guess in this case, it would be the wrong side of the roost. Hardy har. Anyway, Allison out. Well, wow, that's amazing. I, I have to have an editor in my life. I know. A modern technique. <laughs> that's amazing, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, well, we, we now know that you live in a barn while your house is being built mm-hmm. and are getting used to living in colder temperatures. But what is it that your profession is? And how come you ended up in a barn? Yeah,
1: how come I ended up in a bar? But
0: let's start first. Where Where did I meet you? And what were you doing at that time?
1: Oh, yeah. Where did we meet? Well, uh, I think we met at your store in Rotterdam, I believe. Yeah, so, I think
0: I met your stuff first at, an other, yeah. at another store of a friend, Lisa. Yeah.
1: So yeah.
0: I saw what you made and I totally fell in love with it and... Perhaps you can tell me what it is that you made.
1: I made crochet hooks, made uh, carf from twigs, and I made needles from thorns of hawthorns, and I made knitting needles from pruning wood of fruit trees with hazelnut endings or walnut endings, and buttons from stones, pebbles from the river. So all things uh, which you can use to make stuff with crafts. Example. yes
0: and then there were like little pieces little treasures from nature that were in the store and I thought oh my gosh Lisa had a wonderful wonderful store but it was mainly focused on um paper pens um
1: yeah, illustrations
0: was- cards yeah. And uh then I talked to her and we decided that it was a good idea to have your stuff in my shop with all the knitting and crochet and uh sewing stuff. And that's when our professional and relationship and our friendship began. Yeah. Yeah, I have always loved the ideas you have behind making your items and uh you are such a what's the word? It's everything. You have like a philosophy, uh, the aesthetics, the making something from what's already there and making it so valuable and stuff that you can use for the rest of your life. Yeah, it they are little treasures and I obviously still have some of them and I, I really treasure them.
1: Oh, that's so nice to hear. There's
0: just a, you can totally tell how much love went into making them, and you got quite popular with with what you did with your hand carving.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, unexpectedly, actually, because it all started when I lost my job and I started uh, wood carving because I didn't have any money uh, to buy beautiful materials which were eco friendly because. I started out as a designer, educated at the art school of Utrecht, and I specialized in an, in a time that wasn't very popular yet to really get into ecologically friendly uh, materials and designs. So I was a bit of a pioneer. And mm-hmm. um, yes, when I lost my job, so I didn't have any money, I started to look around and try to find materials which I could uh, use to m- to make stuff and it sounds really weird but I never really liked wood carving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: no, it actually doesn't really sound weird because I hear that a lot of writers don't like to write.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that may be a, a something but What I did like was the opportunity, what uh, my surroundings gave me. Uh, The the first crochet hook that I made, uh, I made it really to be able to use something, because I forgot something when I was camping uh, with our camper van in the middle of the forest, and I was knitting socks, and when I uh, wanted to weave in the ends, I sometimes use a small crochet hook because it is easier somehow, and uh, I didn't bring it. So I was like, hmm, what now? And then I looked around in the forest and there were twigs everywhere and there were knives in our little cutlery thing in our drawer. And uh, I just tried my hand at it and I thought, wow, this is like magic. And then once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it and uh, a whole world started to unfold. And it was like I stepped into something so innately human, which is transforming your environment into something you can use without harming your environment. And I thought, well, let's try to discover how far this will go. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: and you're saying two things, like it's innately human and without harming the environment. Mm -hmm. I think it's innately human, but most of us have like moved away from that idea so far. I just talked to somebody yesterday and I said the only thing you really need is a sheep and a fruit bearing tree. Yeah. If you think about it, that's all you need. Yeah. You'll have meat, you'll have milk, providing you're not a vegetarian, but hey, we're talking survival here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wool, there's horns for uh you can do lots of things with horns. There's there's the tree with the wood, there's the fruit yeah it's it's you don't it's really easy to say these things when you're in a house that's heated and you're living <laughs> in the first world i I really know that, but it's also good to think about these things that uh you just need a stick a stick, and a knife, and there you and some time
1: time yeah. and skill yeah yes and uh the eye for it yeah
0: absolutely yeah I bet there's a lot of people that wouldn't make a crochet hook
1: <laughs> but something else <laughs> no, but <laughs> like a I think it's a way of looking at the world that once you see it then it's like riding a bike we're dutch people if you once you learn to ride a bike then you know for the rest of your life how, what to do to ride a bike you never unlearn it except for when something serious happens when you have an accident or something but normally mm-hmm. speaking you can always ride a bike You never forget and i think that if you look to your surroundings in a certain way and you discover something then you cannot not see it it's just there it's like how could i forget
0: (laughs) yeah and how does that translate to your day-to-day life do you go into the into the forest and will you start finding mushrooms do you do stuff like that or
1: Yeah. yeah i do it's uh mushrooms I'm a little bit careful I just recognize two or three of them which are edible yeah <laughs> so uh, I just keep it to those three that I can really determine because otherwise I wouldn't be talking to you right now right but, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it's always a question like if I walk into the forest I sometimes just very positively you know, do not take any bags or anything with me I always always find something on the way it's like I can't just, some people can do that, just walk through nature and just walk through it, like going from A to B. But when I walk through nature, it's like I walk through a supermarket and I'm spiritually hungry. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, my God, I could do this with that. Oh, did you see the color of those leaves? I need to just keep it in mind. Or, oh, my God, those twigs are really the perfect shape for bloody blah. So it's it's like I can't really turn it off. (laughs) I tried, but I always end up uh, with my uh, husband carrying uh, big logs to our (laughs) car. I can
0: see it. I can (laughs) totally see that. What do you pick up most? Like twigs, but um, do you have other examples of things you collect? If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time, and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing.
1: Skeleton leaves are always beautiful. If you see a leaf it has like a vein, and those veins are are the only thing that is left, so you see like um almost like a lacy leaf and When you pick it up you can see through it and it's beautiful so yeah and i live next to a forest which has a certain kind of tree which has natural skeleton leaves so i i bring home too much and i always have a plan and i never do anything with them (laughs) so
0: (laughs) so beautiful Yeah. yeah
1: yeah and food of course food everything is like hazelnuts and walnuts when it's the right season and uh I've recently started uh, to make my own ointments from all kinds of uh, natural things. So um, I always have an eye out for things I can use.
0: It always comes so natural to you. I think a lot of people are now, well, at least in our little world, are now focused on these things. And it's kind of a trend to go into the forest and to collect things. But I have never known you any different. And uh, you've always been very careful what to take and how to take it. And could you give people some pointers on what not to do when you're in nature and collecting Mm,
1: things? Yeah, I think that when you see something really pretty, like a flower or berries or something that you want to take home, that's okay. But do you see a lot? Then you can take some. If you see... Not so many, please don't take it. Just take a picture. It's uh, good enough. We all uh, all have our smartphones on us and uh, you can admire it and take a mental picture if you forgot it. But try to be careful about what you take. And also think about that nature isn't always as friendly as, as we think it is because some things are really poisonous. So be a little bit careful. And also don't break off living things. Like if you want a twig, which is in the perfect shape, just don't break it off because that makes a wound in a tree or a shrub and it will infect very easily if it's broken. So try to see it as the cupboard of your neighbor. You're just not rummaging around it and not asking. Can we uh, just take take everything? No, just be mindful of what you do. I think it's maybe it also is a little bit about trying to connect a little bit uh, with your inner compass of what is right. Try to connect mm-hmm. with that. Because a lot of people, they look at social media and they say, oh, yeah, you can uh, make uh, needles out of uh, out of uh, thorns. Okay, great. I'll walk into the woods and I'll break off thorns and I'll make it. Yeah, but if you wouldn't have seen it on social media and think that it's okay to do that, then you would have approached it differently. and. Mm-hmm. If you go about it with your inner compass, so not from what's the next trend or what is good-looking or something, but what is useful and what feels right, and you have to sometimes the, the voice that says, this is right or this is wrong or you should approach it differently, it's very soft, this voice. We need to learn how to listen to it again because we're very into social media, into what has everyone else done in their lives, so I can do it too there is something in us which is a line of generation to generation to generation all the way back to the
0: hunters and collectors,
1: yeah, the hunters and collectors, it's all still in us we we have the same pieces of, of uh, information inside us, but we need to learn to listen to it again and we need to learn to trust that we can make the right decision if we base it on the right information from ourselves. We can remember stuff, not literally, but we. that's why people, I think, are really touched by the, the things that I made. It feels like they connect to something that they know, and it's something from long ago. And I think that everyone has the same feeling about it. It's the core of something. And I think we all have it. It's not. A case of, oh, I need to buy it. It's something that you have carried inside of yourself.
0: I think that's beautifully put. And I feel that's exactly what it is. That connection that we've lost and the the loud world that we live in and the way you explain that the voice is silent and uh, you really have to listen to it. It also feels to me as a parent like I should parent myself a little bit yeah. better. Sometimes, and at the same time, when we walk in nature with our family, I want to tell my kids not to scream and not to like take sticks and do things with them. But then I'm like, if they can't do it here, where else can they do it? But there's little differences, right? If you Mm -hmm. feel like it's a piece of the forest that's really quiet and there's a lot of animals like hiding, or if it's more of a walking path where more people are. There's different ways and different decisions you can make at different times. And obviously kids can play, but they can also learn how to do it with respect for their environment. As a parent, you are there to help that voice be a little louder in the next generation. And I think that's actually really what we need right now is that the next generation has more respect for and more of a connection to nature, even though... Actually, some of us are not so connected anymore. So it's, it's it's building a bridge that's actually... It's a pretty big bridge to build. But at yeah. least we're getting more.
1: I, I, um, I'm I sorry to uh, interrupt you. But I, I think I have a beautiful story about what you just told. And I think yeah. that the, the connection that a lot of generations ha- have lost already, I think it starts with curiosity before it becomes respect. Because when you want to learn something, then when you get curious, when you get uh, excited, and then you want to protect it. And when people say, uh, you need to protect it, uh, all of a sudden, it becomes another energy. And you don't feel the innate nature that you want to protect something. And when it doesn't come from within, then it feels like someone is telling you what to do. And that really is not really helping. I have an illustrating story about that. I lived in an apartment in The Hague, and I looked out to a field of grass with a few shrubs, elderflower, and some other trees. And yeah, there were a lot of people living there of low income. And that means that both parents need to work to make a living to be able to afford their shitty apartment because it was a shitty neighborhood and so the kids there all were playing outside which sounds uh, really amazing but they were (laughs) not really playing in a peaceful way but they were hanging from branches in the trees trying to break it and that was because there was no guidance there was no one there to say well let's not do that why do you want to break them so when they broke off a, a very large branch of an elder tree, something inside me because I was living on the first floor. So I saw it all from above and I thought, oh no, I have to do something. I'm living in a city and I should just, a lot of people are just turning around their heads, but I can't look at it. Just seeing the violence in those kids trying to really break this living tree mm. with no meaning. So <laughs> in, a, in an instant... I just put on my boots and just walked down and ran to them. And I said, what the fuck what the, hmm, are you doing? <laughs> you can say fuck.
0: <laughs> it's my podcast. You can do that. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I said, what are you doing? Who is doing this? And then the, the ones that were breaking off the branches, they were running away. And I said, no, no, come back. I need to talk to you. And I said, we need to write uh, a letter to the person who manages this plot, that we say that we're sorry because this is a very special tree. And they were like, yeah, special, yes, of course. But I said, you can make lemonade out of this tree. Lemonade. And they were like, lemonade? I said, yes, lemonade. And you can make jam, and you can make jelly, and you can make even make champagne out of the flowers, and you can make syrup. And they were like, no. I said, yes. <laughs> And you just broke off a large, large chunk of it. I said, we need to make sure that how this is broken off, it will make the tree die because you broke it off. And I said, I will get a saw and I will teach you how to saw it off properly. And I will teach you how to make jam. So I ran up and I thought, when I'm down there, those kids will be running away. (laughs) And they will not be there anymore because I just told them off so very, very much in the beginning, I, I thought I scared them off. And I came down with, uh, with uh, two types of saws, and, uh, and they, there were more children. <laughs> and I <laughs> said, okay, who has ever worked with a saw? No one, no one. I said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to work with the saw properly. And then a group of children got really empowered to saw down the broken piece, so it got a smooth surface. And I said, okay, we, we need to uh, break it down in smaller pieces, the branch that you took off. So they started doing that, and they were having fun. They were doing a group thing. And I gave uh, an assignment to the other children by writing a letter to the, to the person who was doing the, the maintenance of this uh, plot. I'm sorry, but uh, someone broke off uh, the branch and we are going to fix it. And uh, when it was all done, so it was all the small branches were somewhere in the bushes to become compost and all those kind of things. And everything was looking neat and it was all good. The children just stood there staring at me. And I said, okay, we just fixed it now. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but when can we make jam? And when can we make money? And I said, yes, let's do that in the summer. And they were like, yes, oh, this is great. And then you turn something around because you make them curious. You you take up what interests them into why they should protect something. And that is so powerful because those children, I could just tell them off and just shout at them and say, you shouldn't be doing that and they would run off, and that's it. And yeah, yeah. when you make it into something they can learn from, they learned how to saw. They were very, really, really proud of themselves, like, wow, do you look at how how thick this branch was? And I I cut it, and I said, okay, now you teach it to the younger one, you know? So how, how should he mm-hmm. be doing that safely? And then you become more of a group, and it wasn't shouting to each other anymore. It was really helping each other, so... The whole energy can be different.
0: Absolutely. What a lovely story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really... And it it really is true. Because it really happened.
0: (laughs) Did you also make the jam in the end?
1: Uh, No. No, because I moved.
0: But they will have this, this memory. I mean, I'm sure... I would definitely have remembered that that happened in my life when I was a kid. So, like the attention from a stranger and teaching you things that's really special so yeah lots of karma points for you
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I think that if uh, people approach each other in a more positive way even even when shit things happen because there Mm. are a lot of shit things happen to us to each other you know you see things happening and which are not nice and sometimes I'm also I don't want to be confronted with it or something I'm not always a perfect person but in a lot of ways you can make so much difference for yourself also that it makes the world a little bit more positive for yourself also i
0: think there's a nice saying that's uh about lemonade right
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, you, if life hands you lemons <laughs> if life hands you an elderflower tree you make them yeah you make, lemon. yeah, you make lemonade yeah Time for a message from our very first sponsor. AM Art & Stationery is fresh and crispy like a new sheet of white paper before you take out your snazzy fountain pen and write about your heart's desires. Whether you'll be writing a love letter or if you are reconnecting with a long-lost friend, amstationery.com has got the most amazing hand-drawn and hand-lettered designs. My favorites are in the Galaxy Collection. The letterhead sheets can even be customized with your initials. And if you need a custom order, Allie can do it. If you want to order, but if you don't have anyone to write to, she's got you covered. AM Stationery's pen pal matching service will match you to your new best friend. You can write about letters and pens and papers and inks and... Oh gosh, I think I need a match too. Plant your flag at amstationary.com and land some of those moon papers right now. ...tree. Yeah. <laughs> you make lemon.
1: Yeah, You make lemonade, yeah.
0: yeah. And talking about teaching, we talked about your hand, your wood carving, but you are also a teacher in many ways, are you not?
1: Yeah, yeah. I currently am a painting teacher for people with aphasia. So those are people who had like a stroke or who had an accident, uh, which made them have brain damage to which they cannot communicate really well anymore. So for those people, I teach painting lessons and creativity lessons so they can express themselves in a different way. So that is one thing I do, and I started illustrating a lot more, and I uh, really had a long time of teaching a lot of workshops yeah what not I, I have done a lot
0: <laughs> yeah I, I we we had so many fun workshops planned before COVID happened and who knows what happens in the future but I'm so curious who are your teachers who did you learn all these skills from
1: I have had um the wood carving I had Uh, a wonderful teacher which taught me the basics at the art academy and that's Jan Harmsen but I'm Mm -hmm. not sure but he is a a wonderful man and he still teaches wood carving so that's really nice. I I was uh, privileged to be taught the basics of wood carving and the rest I really did myself actually and painting... Yes, my, my mother campaigned very beautifully, so I I did get it a little bit from home. and
0: uh, Yeah, because yeah, you, your dad is also connected to nature.
1: Yes. My father had a profession of uh, tree surgeon, so he, yeah. he worked for the municipality of Dordrecht for a long time, where he was like the tree surgeon of the city, and So that was his job. He and my mother both share a big plot of land where they grow their own vegetables. They still do. And yeah, they they really got me fascinated with nature in a young age. So that's where that came from. My father is also very creative in writing and he has a large imagination. And my mother has the textile crafts and my sister, she writes a lot. So, yeah, we have a quite creative and versatile family.
0: That's a lot of creative soil to grow up on. So there's kind of no way for you to get around that. And now you're transforming your home. Also, the place where you live is not in an apartment in the city anymore, but you are building a house yourself, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. We've we've bought a plot of land which is actually just agricultural land and we had to prepare it for building. So we didn't really buy a plot that was ready for building, but we really started from scratch. So we live next to Almere, which is a city in the Netherlands in one of the youngest provinces, uh, Flevoland, um, which is regained from the sea, which is also very amazing. And there is a plot of land, an area which is, an experiment in the Netherlands. So you can build whatever you like, but you need to comply to a few game rules, as they call it. They call it Stadslandbau, which is city agricultural. Agriculture, yeah. So it really focuses on families and small communities and individuals who love to grow vegetables and to live off the land and to have sheep and to build their own house. So this whole area is filled with people just like us (laughs) and uh, yeah so we bought a plot of land here and uh, we decided to start it and that was around I think five years ago. It's
0: a big endeavor isn't it?
1: Yeah and yeah we got some setbacks so we are a little bit longer on this road than the average person doing this project. <laughs> but we're still here. We're still together and we're still doing this and we're happy.
0: With chickens.
1: Yeah, with chickens, yes.
0: <laughs> and your own vegetables and
1: flowers. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. And a little green.
0: It's mouth. going to be so beautiful. I visited Vitika uh how long ago? A year, a year um, and a half ago, yeah. something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's an amazing place, and it's so not Dutch because Dutch people like things in order, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're really nice houses there. It's it's not like Christiania or like in Copenhagen where everything is built from pieces of wood that you had left over or anything. it's actually really nice buildings, um, but. A lot of people with different ideas towards the future and not everything is straight and like the plots of land and the houses are i don't know it feels like they're sprinkled on more than laid in lines and i loved it even though yeah. I, it wasn't definitely nowhere near finished but i could see where this was going the vibe there was so nice and i'm i'm thinking most of the building that people are doing there including yourselves you probably make conscious decisions about everything, right?
1: Well, yeah, um, what is possible within our budget and what is possible within the rules, of course, because um, when you are doing this for so so long, five years, <laughs> then uh, the money is is uh, going downhill quickly because uh, building is a, is a very expensive thing. Even if you do a lot of things yourself, it's like, You never know how much it's going to cost. Eventually, that's uh, a big thing. Yeah, a lot of things are very conscious decisions, yes.
0: I remember, do you have walls that are filled with, what was it, something?
1: (laughs) Yes, they are made with hempcrete, uh, which is is a combination of hemp fibers um, with not chalk, but lime, and mixed with water. When you mix it, with a certain amount of this and a certain amount of that, then you get the perfect mix, which is stomped into a form or just pounded so it really compact. Then it hardens out, and it becomes lightweight, environmentally friendly concrete. And it, and it keeps breathing because of the capillary workings of the stems of hemp. Mm-hmm. The water is still transported from one side to the other, and heat also. And also, in the summer it is very hot outside during the day, it doesn't really go into your house as quickly because we have thick walls Mm -hmm. made from these hempcrete walls. And so a lot of the heat from outside stays outside during the day, but when it cools down, then the heat travels inside. So when it cools down, then you have a, a better climate inside. And it also works the same with moisture. Lack of moisture in the summer is also transported. It really, is a beautiful material. Wow. So.
0: There's lots of things you can do with hemp, right? Like we, knit with it. You can build walls with it, and obviously all the other things. And um, <laughs> I was I was suppressing like a joke, and I'm just not going to make it because it's the type of joke.
1: Because of my name.
0: <laughs> I was wondering if you if you will sleep better.
1: oh yeah well it smells a little bit now because it's still drying (laughs)
0: um i i wanted to talk to you because you are a big example of a person that lives a holistic lifestyle connected to nature so the building of your house the job that you have the the artist in you everything feels like connected what would you say is your main focus right now uh, for work?
1: Yeah, for work, the main thing now is that I have quit wood carving. So that's off the table completely. And many people will be like, no. no, oh, Viteke, no. <laughs> okay, let's start yeah, with let's that. Yeah, let's
0: start with that.
1: Yeah. Why is it off the table, Vitika? Why? Well... Let me tell you. I stopped because I became a slave of my own ideas. And uh, a lot of people will say, well, then you just have to scale up and you have to hire people to do that. And why don't you want to get rich from this? That was never my intention. I never wanted to get rich from this. I started it from another point of view. I started it from passion. And a lot of people start things from passion, but I wanted to keep my core values pure, and um, a lot of factors made me eventually decide to, to stop woodworking. thing was that when I carve thorns from a tree into needles that you can work with, that's something very beautiful, and it really is. There are needles or thorns from the woods next to my house, so that's beautiful. I sold most of them to people abroad, Uh and abroad, abroad. So uh, America, Australia even, uh, Spain, you name it, I sold it. And I would send it there, and and it was really popular, and people sent me the most beautiful stories of what they did with it, and it was beautiful. But it was almost the opposite of what I was doing. So I would take a thorn from a bush next to my house. I would carve it into a needle, and then I would pack it, I would photograph it, I would place it on a website, and I would send it across the world <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to do something with it. And then I thought, okay, yeah. Um, the demand uh, was high. It grew very fast, and eventually I couldn't... I did a shop update for Etsy, for example, and then I would be sold out within 24 hours. Everything was sold out which was which I would carve for a month or something. A month. Yeah. Yeah. A month of work you get it sold out in 24 hours and people would would say, "Wow, that's amazing." In the first three times that that happened, I really felt, "Yes, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. My message gets across. It's beautiful." But then it really became demanding to you know it's it's quite daunting to see everything disappear that you just took hours and hours and hours to make
0: can i ask how long would it take to make a needle
1: well it's very difficult to know actually
0: i know it's a shitty question because it depends on a lot of things but let me rephrase that let me ask you if you sell out uh, like a month of work within 24 hours were you able to earn a month's income
1: no no that's uh, the difficult thing because when you make something with your hands it's very difficult to put a price on it which is something realistic Because how much will people pay for a needle, and how much do I want them to pay for a needle? Because I wanted to convey the beauty of nature to everyone. And I wanted people to to see and touch it, and to be a part of the story. So that's why I chose to keep the costs low. I, I did raise the price, a little bit by a little bit, but... Then I, I came across like a, a border which I thought, well wow, this is something that I wouldn't want to ask for, you know, it's it's like it's and then so I...
0: hard. It's so hard. I once sent uh, one skein of what's the word, linen to the exact opposite of the world where I am, like New Caledonia. Um mm. it was crazy. I'm like, don't they have it there? I know. It was and I think it was the the brand that was the factor and you had become a brand as well right yeah yeah how did that make you feel
1: it well yeah i don't know actually it was at first it felt really nice to be able to be successful at something to be like the person to go to for something like that and uh, it was beautiful because my message was coming across and people were really positive and the demand grew and grew and grew and that was beautiful, but in the end, I wanted to convey something and, and I once told you that eventually it felt like I was pointing at the moon, trying to, to bring people to see and feel that you can transform your own natural environment It is something you can use on a daily basis. Um, With just your hands and a knife or something. It's so innately human. And I thought that I was conveying that message. But eventually I realized that I felt like I was pointing with my finger to the moon. And everyone was looking at my finger. Yes. And they didn't grasp the concept of what the moon was. Mm. So I thought, why don't I start teaching? Or why won't I start writing a book about it, about the thought behind it? I was so in between what to do because I had a whole whole bunch of people following me for the right reasons because I had something I wanted to share and people wanted to listen and they were prepared to pay money for it. But I, I wanted to keep it. Pure. I don't know how to explain it.
0: It's really hard to explain. It's like it's um, you're pulled in all kinds of directions. If you're a mix, um, if you're an artist that uh, wants to make a living from what you do, it's one of the hardest places to be in. And when you're in crafts, even more. If you do manual labor in arts and crafts, that's usually a very long process, and the hours are very hard to get to get paid according to what you do Mm -hmm. and then the whole idea behind it and the concept and it's layers upon layers upon layers and i'm now talking from my perspective at a certain point you're like the story can i maybe not keep it at just the story and talk to people about the thing that i want to teach them instead of also offering them this uh, in my case, uh, hand dyed, local yarn. Um, the thing is you you really want to do well, but there's so many layers and at a certain point, um, you have to also take care of yourself and your business and and make decisions. And I think you made a very, very brave decision because you were you had such a great and still do a great name. you are such a talented maker. And you still decided this is not my path. I'm going to take a little, um, a turn. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it's a brave and really hard thing to do. And, um, yeah, I really applaud you for it because you, you are staying true to your core values and the story is the same, but you're using other tools.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, It's very easy once you have success. In this world where social media and where you constantly can get attention or validation for your work, once you become successful, it's very easy to try to stay there, try to keep it. Because we all learn that the only way is up. You need to grow, you need to go up, you need to go further on with the same thing that that made you successful. Yeah,
0: this podcast is, um, we talk about growing by going smaller. So what I mean by that is, is also layered. Is it uh, growing your soul by going smaller as a business? Or can you grow your business by going smaller and offering less things or to uh, a smaller group? Or there's different ways you can look at it. Do you think it's it's doable? Do you have um, uh, examples of makers that you think uh, are really successful in what they're doing while still maintaining their core values when it comes to like respect for animals, nature, people, the environment? Is there anyone that you would say, I think they're doing a great job?
1: Mm. You are. I am. <laughs> you are. In what way? I think that one, I'm not saying that because you say you admire me, but...
0: This is why I started the um, podcast. <laughs> so I could interview people <laughs> and then they could say...
1: Okay, let's get some compliments. <laughs> okay. No, but I, I really admire you. We, we, were, we were, once we, we, we talked to each other uh, some time ago, and I remember it very vividly. You we were sitting in a sitting in cafe and you were like, yes, this store, it feels like it's keeping me from what my real purpose is. But at the time, it was a too big of a step to take to lose the store. <laughs> and I say lose, but it isn't losing, it's letting go. And I thought, well, you might consider it. Try to keep a little space in your mind that you don't have to lock yourself in a store. <laughs> to be able to communicate what you need to communicate. And I think it's one of the most powerful things that people can do is to, to walk the, the unwalked path, be a pioneer. Why otherwise do things? To, you, you, why do we need to be successful? What is the gain in it? Yes, I know that we are people that are wired to be, to be wanting to be accepted to be able to fit in a group but
0: yeah yeah i th- i remember that i really remember that conversation and at that time it felt like such a big step
1: the thing is that i realized also is that i really have difficulty with letting people go because they are so nice and they are so beautiful and what you have is so beautiful when it's even with customers the the most Beautiful people connect with you because you made something that they wanted. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they need to stay on your path forever. Yeah.
0: And um, yeah. I think everything yeah. that we've been doing, and I think in that respect we have similar paths, we, we just happen upon things, we learn from it, and then we take a decision and we philosophize. Philosophize? Is that even a word?
1: Sounds good to me.
0: <laughs> we like to think things through,
1: <laughs> yeah. but also
0: we follow our hearts. And in the end, I'm sailing on not on the stars, but like on what my heart tells me to. But I have yeah. to keep my eyes open. And I think there's a big, big difference between what's a hobby and what's your job. And mm-hmm. obviously, if there's nothing better in life than to be able to make the thing you love into your job even though that will shift your uh your feeling but um at the same time i i don't want to do another 10 12 years of pouring myself into something that's not like it has to be sustainable as well you know as as a as a, yeah. as, a as a living it's it's a weird balance it's um is it a choice Choosing for what is soul fulfilling and what is bank filling.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it needs to be a choice. No. There's always a, a way to to be able to live off it, and um, um, I think it's uh, a lot of people think those are two different things, and for some people, it is more healthy to just have a job where you can make your money and then go home and relax and and, uh, do something that you love. And that's that's also something that's just as good as uh, trying to combine those two. But I think uh, you and me, Saskia, we are people that, yes, when we do something, we go so full in, (laughs) then you better make a living out of (laughs) it. There's nothing left of your life.
0: Yeah, exactly. You better yes. get some money in return.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think I always struggled to have a hobby because once I had a hobby and I became uh, good at something, then I saw something in it that I could share with others and others would want a, a piece of it. Yeah. I think this is, I-
0: this is making the conversation full circle. I think this is exactly what it's about if um if you find something that is so valuable and i think for you to say in short that's your connection with nature for me that's a connection with um making something and transforming something and so you get calm and and feel feel better about yourself and your mental health these things if you find the balance and and sharing and teaching and the thing we have learned to be so important and so valuable to us. We want to share it with other people and we're finding new ways and new tools to do so. And yes. I'm using the podcast and the online community. I'm working with people in the Conscious Knitting Club to actually work as a group to find ways to make our practice more conscious and more, more better, <laughs> more better. But you are very gifted and talented in drawing and you have such a nice story to tell do you want to share more or
1: yeah of yeah? course yeah 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 I, I i really love drawing and um and illustrating and um i was trying to find a form for trying to convey the message the the, the one about the moon yeah. <laughs> not literally the moon but my fascinations for nature and our relationship to it and that if we listen to ourselves and we pay attention to our surroundings, our natural surroundings, then, then we can find something in ourselves that we will realize that we did not we lose anything about ourselves. We just need to listen again and to, to be open. So yeah, there is Hopefully, a book's coming, but no guarantees yet
0: it's a, no and um it's it's going to be a long process anyway, so but um yeah, it's nice to know that you have uh find found a new way to tell your story, and I'm hoping 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 the book will get there because I will definitely get it and get it for people in my in my family and my friends to share with mm. everybody
1: yeah. I shared a little bit of a peek of, of it with you already, yeah. It looks really good. <laughs> it will probably be for children, so it will be in Dutch, firstly, but yeah.
0: If you want, you can send me some pictures you want to share of the chickens and everything, and we can put them in the show notes so people can see a little bit of you and maybe your work, and do you want to share your uh, where people can find you?
1: Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at Viteke Opmeer. And that will probably also be in the show notes. And on my website, um And I am not very active on social media present, but that's conscious because, um, yeah, trying to find my story, trying to live my life consciously. And that means not always posting about my chickens
0: (laughs) how do you like people to contact you because I know uh, I like a good old old old-fashioned postcard I like a letter I like an email even yeah you can you can just say if you want (laughs) to contact me about what I'm doing send me a postcard (laughs) 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 through Saskia because I'll share my address (laughs) or something whatever but we don't necessarily have to do the things that all the people are doing right if you i'm also thinking about like drastically posting less on instagram and making it into a really big thing but then um i won't find people on instagram i'll find them through the podcast that's fine
1: yeah yeah it, it, it well, for me it comes a little bit in waves sometimes i feel like yes i want to share with the world what i'm doing right now but sometimes i'm like Okay, I'm just here now building my house. I have to label some wires that are going through the house. Okay, I, I don't need to share anything right now. It's just, um it's my life. And um yeah, uh, everything is good. You can send me an email. You can... Uh, or pigeon. Or pigeon. <laughs>
0: or just shout really loudly
1: (laughs) hey hey what's up yo
0: (laughs) oh i just i just want to share this thing with you i googled uh, this is so funny i can't believe i did it and i can't believe that i'm sharing it but (laughs) i googled can you have a business without social media And you can. And guess what? You do exactly what I did when I started working because then we didn't have social media. So you can still do like do all the things we used to do. But then obviously you're not reaching people all over the world. You're yeah. reaching people that are closer to you. So yeah. it's a choice. We can make this choice. I can say uh, my message is just for people in Rotterdam. And um, obviously, I have to start talking another language in my podcast.
1: But yeah, um, yeah. but there is a good book tip. I have a book tip for people who 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 are fascinated by doing less social media or anything. Tell me, it's a book by Mark Boyle, and it's back home, something like that. I will look it up.
0: We'll put a link. We'll put the link down there.
1: Yeah, and it's about him going off grid completely he built his own home and he just says okay I'm not going to use any technology for a year and let's see how I feel about it then and he wrote uh, a book by hand about it it's uh, little snippets of his life and what he's doing without social media without email without a bank card without anything just not even running water just the house that he built in Ireland Mm -hmm. I believe
0: it sounds amazing and if you think that's a little too much then the book digital minimalism is also a good one to start then it's just then you'll learn how to like cut out a lot of your uh, digital things (laughs) okay obviously (laughs) the hour is full and my words are gone (laughs) thank you so much Vitika, for sharing your life your lifestyle your work your message you're everything with us. You've been very generous you. with your stories. And um,
1: well, you.
0: hopefully I can come visit the chickens again soon.
1: Of course, of course. I'll give you some eggs when you go home.
0: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much.
1: Okay. Thank you, Saskia.
0: Drum roll, drum roll. Remember episode 9? Anna Bauer was our guest and she had one of her zines available for one of our listeners. And we have a winner. Honan, the zine number one, is going to...
1: Hi Saskia, my name is Vanessa and I would put on my jacket, I witchcrafted this piece of art. And maybe I would use something like a broomstick and fire and, of course, mushrooms and some flowers and maybe some chicks as well. Bye! Congratulations!
0: I'll get in touch with you and I'll send it right off. This show was edited by Allie McLaughlin. In return, I made an ad for her brand new website. If you want to sponsor an episode, you can get in touch via info at ja-wol.com or select it here on our Patreon page. You can find all the information on our website. I'm only asking for the cost to make the show at this point so I can break even. So this is kind of your chance. I hear we're big in Taiwan and currently in the top 10 in multiple European countries in leisures and crafts. We're number 129 in the States, but still, we're growing and gaining a bigger audience every time we bring out a new episode. So take your chance, reach your people, and spread your message. A Smaller Life is more than just a podcast. It's connected to Yavol, an indie yarn and tool shop from Rotterdam in the Netherlands, with an online community that's all about bringing back the consciousness in our crafting practice and businesses. The website is www.ja-wol.com. Find our conscious products, learn more about the free community, and sign up for our Conscious Knitting Club membership and our weekly newsletter. You can follow me on Instagram at rotterdam. If you're a regular listener, consider making a monthly contribution and becoming a sponsor through our Patreon page. If you're able to make a financial contribution, it would mean a lot. The show is free for you, but it's not free to produce. If you own a business that fits the narrative, I will happily make a mini commercial for you. If you are a maker, small business owner, or otherwise experienced in running a business with a conscience, or know someone that fits the description and want to tell my listeners about your experiences, get in touch with me via the website or send me a DM on Instagram. Knowing more and choosing with a conscience makes the world better. If you have any questions about an episode or want to leave a note to me and the other listeners, click the button in the latest show notes on the website and talk. One of the easiest things you can do to support the podcast is to leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice so you'll never miss an episode. And share it in your social network or even just mentioning it over coffee with a friend. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.